You're listening to Through Help and Back. Through Help and Back is a podcast focused on mental health, addiction, treatment, recovery, and all things related to personal improvement and wellness. Don't worry, we're not here to talk about problems without solutions, and we're definitely not here to talk about struggles without success. So come with your problems, leave with our solutions. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Through Help and Back. I am Jason Pratt, your host. I'm here with producer Ian. He is back in the house. Ian, are you mic'd up today? Are you, are you with us with us, or are you just kind of in the room? My voice is with you. I mean, that voice. I am just not there. That, that voice, Ian's voice, always, you know, I, I think probably like 90% of the feedback we get is on that, uh, on that voice of our producers. We've got the most, uh, the most suave and smooth-voiced producer in the game, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm psyched. I'm so excited to be here. It's been a long time since we've been in studio. I've been on the road. Uh, I've been traveling around. Um, so a lot of our episodes were filmed, you know, kind of back in early August, and now we're, we're into September, and we're in New England, and the leaves are changing, and... Everybody's feeling good um, on this end, but not everybody in the world, right? So we've got a lot of focus on this show with, with mental health issues, addiction, and just general wellness and healing. Um, I have a, an amazing guest today, and I can't wait to bring her on. Her name is Lindsay Vine. Uh, she is from Vancouver. And when I talk about everybody's feeling well and everybody's feeling good, um, that's not always true. Uh, people are struggling with these things, and sometimes we think in the mental health world, you know, you get a diagnosis... You get some medication, you get a little therapy, boom, everything is good, life is good, and life is all better. But, you know, healing's not a straight line to success, and people have their ups and downs, and, and Lindsay is well-versed in those, those ups and downs and has dealt with things. Um, in the realm of, you know, long COVID, which is something that three years ago, if I had said, I would look like a crazy person, but now we all know what that means. Um, chronic fatigue, uh, seasonal depression, things with lots of acronyms uh, that she's going to walk us through. But she's had personal struggles with that. And she is a healer who is helping herself and helping others. So, Lindsay, we are we are so glad to have you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to be here. So I always kind of start off this way. I kind of like to get a sense of everybody's surroundings. So how is how is life in Vancouver? I've never been. Oh, life in Vancouver is great. I mean, it's been a bit of a rough summer in terms of fires. I think you've probably heard about the, a lot of forest fires um, around Canada, and that affected me a lot, the smoke. But now it's past. It's getting cool again. It's really nice, actually, in the fall. It's really beautiful. Yeah, we enjoyed your smoke from your fires around the 4th of July. I know you got here, some. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that was, I've, I've talked about this in other episodes. It was the first vacation. Um, I mean, cry for me, right? It's my first vacation that I had to bring air filters. Um, and we kind of like, you know, sat in the in the hotel and just kind of like let the air be good. And we went out a couple hours each day. But it definitely was something that was pretty obvious and was on our mind. So I can't imagine what it was like for you guys up there. Was it just all summer long? Not all summer long. It was like in spurts, but, and actually Vancouver didn't get it as bad as some other places, but it is really interesting when you have a chronic illness, like it just is so affecting because it causes inflammation in the body. And it's just, it's a whole extra hurdle to life in ways that a lot of people don't even know. But it's interesting to think about what it could be doing to all of our lungs. But. It's funny because we'll talk about this stuff, but like with COVID and like with any of these um, type of environmental toxins and things like that, you know, when they start like scaring the healthy people, right? Like, I mean, I don't really have any issues that I know of, and but I was really scared and I was starting to feel it. And I kind of had that sensation of like feeling the air, you know what I mean? Like it felt heavy. Um, and then you, you kind of extrapolate that to the elderly or the people who are immunocompromised or dealing with respiratory issues. Um, and it's got to be 
you know, 10 times, 100 times, you know, more difficult. So um, I see you've got a little co-host there, too. We saw some we saw some white fur. Everybody, this is Winnie. <laughs> it was a big piece in my recovery. She's really, really helped me in terms of healing, um, in terms of the loneliness piece, which I think we'll talk about some and how important it is to not feel lonely when you're trying to heal from something. And then also she just helped me like with motivation, you know, we need a motivator sometimes to help us keep going. And getting Winnie was a huge step for me. She looks like a, uh, a stuffed animal come to life. Like she's very comfort, comforting and very cuddly and uh, very sweet, very patient. So Yeah, that's the only issue with her is she has a lot of that separation anxiety. So it's like, don't leave me alone. <laughs> She's a, an emotional support animal that needs an emotional support animal. Exactly. <laughs> It'd be like a whole series of them tied together. So, Lindsay, I mean, you, we met before, and I kind of got a sense of your story and talked about that. Really kind of a, an amazing story in a lot of ways. But um, for the listeners, they're kind of starting fresh. And you've mentioned a couple of times my healing journey. And, you know, so do you want to kind of take us back and, and sort of walk us through those steps and talk about, you know, what you faced and how you got here. Yeah. So it all started like 2015, I would say was when I was doing my master's in public health and I was very stressed. Like it's not every program probably, but they put on you a lot of pressure to be doing more. You should be networking. You should be reading all these things and all this stuff. And I, I took it on a lot, this pressure of, and this feeling that I wasn't, enough, I think I had, which is an intrinsic problem, probably with something that came from my childhood. But um, a lot of people who take masters of public health, they do it because they want to become doctors, and it looks good on their resume. So I was comparing myself to these people who are very high achievers, (laughs) whereas I'm a very arts background. And I was telling myself that I'm dumb. And I was just like, I just have to accept that even though I was doing well, And I actually was having panic attacks and waking up with these intense panics and not sleeping well. But instead of recognizing any of that or dealing with any of that, I would just push on and on and on and on. And I literally got to the point where I handed in my master's thesis. And the next day, my body just crashed, like all the energy just drained out of my body. Like I can't even explain to you the level of fatigue. I cut with some of us who have chronic fatigue syndrome describe it as like a mix of like a hangover and like intense jet lag all the time. And this feeling like you're constantly just like have no energy in your body. And that's what happened to me after my master's program. And I was like, anyone, I'm like, oh, it'll go away. Of course, I probably just sick. It'll go away. And it didn't go away. And I was sick. And then it weeks turned into months. And And then finally, I had to quit my job that I was doing, started to get a little bit better. Once I quit my job, it was summer, started a new job, of course, as soon as I could. (laughs) And I crashed again. And that's when I was diagnosed with ME-CFS. The technical name is myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is a mouthful (laughs) for people. And the name that people use is chronic fatigue syndrome, which is also a frustrating name because it doesn't describe all the symptoms because I was having immune system. I felt like I had the flu all the time. I felt pain everywhere. Like it's like fibromyalgia is also a piece of it. There was so much going on and I was so sick and I, it's just so fear inducing. And the interesting thing that's happening is this now that I know this is a nervous system issue, the fear is just perpetuating the symptoms. So 
that went on for years and years until the point where I ended up moving to a small island. I was like, I'm going to heal in nature. I'm going to get away. I was obviously feeling very jealous of all the fun things my friends were doing too. So I was like, I'm going to go heal in nature. I went to a small island where a friend's parents had a cabin that I could stay at. And I actually ended up getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And it really taught me something about the importance of connection, because <laughs> this is also around COVID time where people couldn't come visit me. And I was alone, literally got to the point where I was bed bound, living alone, peeing in a Tupperware container beside my bed because I couldn't make it to the bathroom more than once a day. I would just like have this big Tupperware and then I would just like take it once a day and do whatever I had to. And then and I would have cans and cans of tuna piled up beside my bed because I couldn't make it to the kitchen. So I was like, I'll just eat the tuna cans because at least I'm eating something with protein from beside my bed. And that's how I was living, like literally like a sick hermit until luckily my friends came and were like, this is enough, Lindsay, <laughs> like you cannot be living like this anymore. And they ended up doing an intervention essentially and bringing me back to Vancouver. They found me a place because I didn't think there was any way I could afford to live in Vancouver. They found me a place, they moved me. And that was two and a half years ago. And ever since then, you know, of course, it came along with a lot of figuring out tools that helped. The healthcare system has pretty much nothing for chronic fatigue out there and long COVID as well. But I figured out the tools that was helping were helping other people heal and figured out systems for myself that would work and put myself back in the driver's seat. I think that's another thing we should talk about is about having to take your power back. Um, instead of hoping someone will save you, having to be like, okay, I'm going to have to save myself. And it often comes after a rock bottom happens where like, it's either I'm going to end it or I'm going to change something. And that's what I did, I would say. So I'll let you get in there. But <laughs> that's pretty much a resume of what happened. I'm just stuck on the... Uh the aromatic sense that I get of this cabin with the, with the Tupperware and the tuna. And like, I just like, <laughs> not a pretty sight. I could just imagine just, you know, the smell, right. Just walking through the door and sort of like, Whoa, you know, I know, but it's a testament to, um, you know, how humans to good or bad can adjust in so many different directions to become comfortable with things that long ago, they would have never imagined they would be comfortable with. Right. Like I think about, people in abusive relationships, you know, and in a way you were kind of in an abusive relationship with yourself. You know, if you said so, if you said to somebody before they got in a relationship, like, hey, you're going to endure physical pain, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be, and this is going to happen on a regular basis, they would say, I would never be part of this. This is ridiculous. But sort of, sort of one day at a time, they compromise and they settle and they get into the situations. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened with you. You have a couple of triggering events but then it was just sort of this slide one day at a time. You sunk a little bit deeper in that. Um, were you aware when that was kind of happening? Like, man, I'm really getting to a low point. Or were you just sort of living and then it all caught up with you at once? Um, yeah, a little bit of both. Like, I definitely got to the lowest of the low where I was like, because I was living. It was very confusing because it was so beautiful where I was. <laughs> like, I'm literally living out my window is the ocean. I was 
seeing whales every day, like literally whales and like deer outdoors. And so in some ways I'm like, this is beautiful. This is perfect. And yet my health was just degrading and degrading. So I would try really hard to just pick up on the good things and stay with it, you know, but it just wasn't working for me. And I was so, so lonely. And yeah, I did get to a point where I was like, you know, I'm, I'm either going to jump off these cliffs or I'm going to change something. But because I was sick and another big thing about chronic fatigue syndrome, and for those listening with long COVID know, like brain fog is a really big symptom. Like it's hard to really have logical thoughts. I didn't see a way out, even though there were lots of people who would have taken care of me and I could have asked for help. My parents weren't even that far away. They never offered, but I could have asked for help. (laughs) And it's really interesting how you feel, or at least I felt like, oh, I can do this. I can figure this out until the point where I could not anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Well, mental mental health and, and physical health, in this case too, chronic illness, is so isolating, right? Because of those thoughts. It's not only physically isolating in the sense that you just can't function at your best, but it's psychologically isolating because of those messages messages that you tell yourself. Nobody's going to care. Nobody can help me. There's no way out. I'm the only one that's feeling this. I'm the only one that understands this. The healthcare system has nothing for me. And all of those things whittle away at your hope. And once you lose that hope, uh, you're in big trouble. That's when you start looking at the cliffs, right? I mean, that's when you start going like, well, I can't live like this forever. But I want to go back a little bit farther before, though, because um, this, you know, you talk about during your master's, this kind of all caught up with you. Growing up and before that, like, who were you before that? Like, were you feeling any of this stuff along the way and then it just got worse as part of your master's? Or were you generally a, a healthy, happy, functional person? Because, I mean, you're, you're pursuing a master's and you're putting your life together. Like, I just wonder what you were like before all of this started. Yeah, the interesting thing is, like, I was uh, an achiever. So we talk about the personality types of people who often get these illnesses, a lot of perfectionists, a lot of achievers. I was a very much, like, I should do more. I should do more. I volunteered, always volunteering, always pursuing education, always working, doing all of these things. But I would get a lot of infections, a lot of urinary tract infections. I would get a lot of um, throat infections. Um, I got, yeah, many, many kinds of infections over the years. And every month when I'd get my period, I would get sick. (laughs) It was like, but I never thought to slow down. I never thought to do anything about it. I took a lot of antibiotics in my 20s. And, you know, the way you do, you go to the doctor, they give you a cure for it, you keep going, right? So my 20s, I mean, I, I visited 35 countries, I was a big traveler. <laughs> I've done a lot in my life before I got sick. It's so interesting, the like, before, during and after are like three different people. <laughs> but I definitely there were signs that I needed to take care of my body more. And I just kept going, you know, no, and I think that's an important thing for people to understand is because another one of the illusions of, of mental health is that kind of it can't happen to me, right? Like if I had, if I was going to have depression or if I was going to have anxiety, I would have been born with it. I would have been one of those kids that struggled. But, you know, outside of some, some you know, some lights on the dashboard that say pay attention to this and maybe don't destroy your gut microbiome with antibiotics every month, you know what I right. mean? Like <laughs> there really was nothing that was like a big flashing warning sign like, hey, you're heading for trouble, and then after the masters, it just all really caught up 
Yeah, it was a big, uh, we call it a perfect storm often happens with CFS right before. And for me, it was a bunch of little things at that time. Like on top of the masters, there was a breakup and there was during my breaks, like when I wasn't writing my thesis, I was watching Breaking Bad, which is like an extremely stressful show. Why would someone use that as a break? <laughs> if I had been thinking clearly, you want to do something really relaxing, right? When you're not writing. <laughs> and then also, of course, all the imposter syndrome and all the things that, that were psychologically happening at the time, it all just built up. Another weird thing around that time is my roommate had lice because she was a teacher. She brought home lice and I got lice. And that's a really interesting thing because even though once we got rid of it, you all, you have these itchy feelings and this, it's something going on with the amygdala that this, you're constantly coming back to your, which is a part of your brain in the limbic system, the fight or flight. And when you're constantly being aware of triggers, 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 that's actually kind of what CFS is is that you're having all these symptoms and then your fear response keeps getting triggered, triggered, triggered. And then that gives you more symptoms. It's like a loop of symptoms going on, which is hard for people to understand because they're like, oh, does that mean it's my fault? But it's not your fault. It's an overactive limbic system, but we can heal it. And we'll talk about ways we can talk, do that and help ourselves. And there's similar ways that can help with anxiety and depression as well. It depletes your, your emotional resources to be in that fight mode, but it also depletes your resources to be on guard, right? So, like, you think about at night when you're relaxing, if you fall, you know, you get into bed and you fall asleep and you relax, okay, you're not using those resources the same way versus if you're one of those people who lay in bed and every sound you get up and you look and you're nervous and you have to go check the doors and things like that. Being on guard is stressful in its own way. It's just lower level stress. It's not as dramatic as like the fight mechanism or a panic attack or something like that. And we only have so much of that to give day in and day out. And so if you're constantly depleting your resources and then a challenge comes, eventually you're going to cross that line. You know, you're going to. Yeah. And your body just gives up at one point. It's really interesting what happens. And I don't want to scare people, but it's often, so there are these viruses that live in our system. So we know that things like EBV, the Epstein-Barr vi Epstein virus, which is one that something like 90%, 80% of people have, CMV, cytomegalovirus, many of us have, they live in our system. And now COVID is another one of those that people got and it lives in our system. And what seems to be happening in terms of what research is finding is what happens when all these stressors compound, whether they're environmental, whether they're relational, whether they're, you know, from infection, whatever causes it, but it activates the virus. And that's what triggers the um, overactive nervous system response. So even though you may have had COVID and gotten over it, it doesn't mean you couldn't get long COVID later on if you have intense stressors that overwhelm your body because it can be reactivated. So it's just a warning for people to do these kinds of activities to um, preemptively take care of themselves. So it's not just a sense of like, okay, I got COVID. So my family went through the COVID stuff. You get COVID, my wife lost her smell, lost her sense of taste. I got wrecked for about four or five days. Then you, you get up off the couch and you're fine. What you're saying is, is there's almost an element of a time bomb that's, that's dramatic, but 
there is something in there that could reactivate and those type of symptoms would show back up or would it just be that chronic fatigue, that wiping out of your, your energy systems? It's different, different for different people in terms of what symptoms would come up. Some, it could be gut symptoms. It could be um, hyper like sensitivity to smell and um, some people have fibromyalgia pain. But yeah, the, the COVID virus, it's in your body. It's probably dormant and may be dormant there the rest of your life. But if it, if it is one of these viruses that could activate an immune response over time, but I, it's not worth stressing about. It's just like something that people should um, take care of themselves. You know, <laughs> we should all take care of ourselves. I'm going to think about it every day for me. Oh, no, <laughs> no you. But we have all these other viruses that are already there and that's never worried you. <laughs> no, right? I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it is something, again, once again, we talk about a depleted individual who's at their end of their rope, who already has worries and concerns, you know, may have, you know, with the hypochondria, may have, you know, the high level of anxiety, uh, bodily anxiety, where they're constantly worried, like, what does this mean? What does this mean? Am I dying? You know, then you throw something like that on top of it. And it's, again, it's that accumulation effect that really can be the straw that breaks somebody's camel, that breaks the camel's back, you know? And the other thing that's very interesting about it that Gabor Mate found in his book, When the Body Says No, is that there's three personality types that are very common, in fact, almost universal with people who get not only these kinds of illnesses, these system sensitivity illnesses, but also other illnesses he found with ALS and cancer, these personality types, the three characteristics that often end up with these kinds of illnesses. Number one is people pleasers. They go out of their way a lot to like make sure everyone's happy <laughs> and they put their needs second. The second is not good at processing emotions. So when stressful things come up, they essentially distract themselves or they choose to, um, you know, find a different way to get around feeling essentially. And the third one is these achievers and perfectionists who feel like they should be doing more, should be doing more. And when you have all three, like me, <laughs> it often ends up ending up in a chronic illness. It's also interesting, the connection to trauma in our childhood and the interesting connection to the kinds of trauma. A lot of people who get CFS, again, these are all theories, don't quote me, but the theory is like a lot of small T traumas, which is the idea of like cumulative trauma, can be very small things. Trauma is as simple as your needs not being met emotionally. And these things add up over time in the nervous system. And that can be a trigger for chronic fatigue or nervous system sensitivity disorders. But yeah, it's interesting theories. And I've been really interested in that kind of literature. I just went through his most recent book, The Myth of Normal. I yeah, I loved it. You've chewed that up. Yeah, it was really good. But he basically says that in this generation, and you know, whatever age you want to put that at, basically everybody is dealing with some level of small t traumas in terms of whether it be environmental toxins or day-to-day -day stress and the massive flow of, I mean, these things right here, like the massive flow of input and just digital everything, right? He said, even if you weren't raped or beaten or whatever, you know, there are some, you're taking some hits, right? Like you're taking some of those emotional hits all along. And, um, and it's hard to hear that because there is no world that currently exists where there's none of that accumulating, right? Like you're getting that in some form or fashion everywhere. Yeah, you can't avoid it. 
Yeah, I mean, you can go live in a cabin for a while, but like after a while, like even then, know. there might be mold. <laughs> there might be mold there. <laughs> yes, exactly. It finds you there. So you you made the comment that you you have all three. Um, why why do you have all three? Do you think? Do you think you were just sort of born with those three? in there ready to go or did you learn those like what's your story about why you have all three well that's been an interesting piece so yeah i talk about the four areas of healing which um uh, i'll come back to that later but one of them is self-discovery work and figuring out why i became the person i was has been a big piece in my healing and um a big piece I have to say it was my mother. (laughs) A lot of girls, it's their relationships with their mothers. A lot of guys, it seems like the relationship with their fathers are very telling. Have you noticed that in therapy? That there's that specific relationship is very telling in terms of how people end up. There's differences, right? So um, the the opposite sex parent um, has a disproportionate impact on the propensity for sort of like stability. So if I have an if I have a good relationship or a steady relationship with my mother, I tend to be a steady person. If I have a volatile relationship with my mother, I tend to be a volatile, more emotionally charged person. But to your point about those sort of like hard impacts, the same sex parent um, that has the ability to really do some massive damage because that's the first lens that you see the world through in terms of what is a woman. What is a mother? What is a girl? What is a female? And so if you get some negative programming there, it, it tends to last for a very long time, right? Because it's sort of like the schema in which you view the world has been set up in a faulty way, right? Um, so I'm interested to hear about you and your mom and how that kind of got off track because it probably feeds into some of your identity stuff now. Yeah, it was really interesting because people wouldn't have from the outside, seeing me as having any kind of emotional issues, because maybe from your point, my dad was quite a stable person. But from what my therapist drilled into me (laughs) over many years was that after I told her many stories is that my mother was narcissistic or a narcissist, and that she took up a lot of space. And I actually see that quite commonly with my clients with MECFS, that there's often someone who's taking up the space, using you as a sounding board. I was like her sounding board for all of her emotions and everything. Like I knew about my parents' sex lives when I was like eight years old, like things that like, I was like her best friend in a weird way. (laughs) And yeah, it's, I also very clearly knew what I didn't want to be like, like I did not want to take up space like that. I knew that she was not asking people questions and I dug it very deep in my mind that I would be much more considerate of people (laughs) than my mom. And of course I learned to like take care of her in her emotional needs. So it is really interesting to think about those, those things. And she was also, the other thing I find commonly that was with my mom um, is an inconsistent parent. And this makes a lot of sense when you look at, someone with a nervous system disorder, right? If you have a parent where you never know if they're going to come home your best friend or they're going to come home in like a yelling rage, right? So if you're not sure of which one you're going to get, your nervous system always has to be on guard. As you were saying, on guard is a kind of stress itself. And it makes sense over time that these little triggers probably added up and ended up in a nervous system disorder. Because from a very young age, I had to always be hyper aware. There was another issue probably with my brother as well. He had like his own issues. 
And I was affected by those. We won't get into that, but it's it's really interesting to look at your childhood with a, a different lens when you understand small t trauma, because I had a great childhood. And I, I remember halfway through my illness, a therapist friend said, Lindsay, I think this is a trauma illness. And I said, what are you talking about? Like my, my childhood was fine. And it's so funny how I look at things differently now. Well, and the easiest way to understand that with the, the, the opposite sex parent and the same sex parent is the opposite sex parent will have a disproportionate impact on how you view relationships, whereas the same sex parent will have a disproportionate view impact on how you view yourself, right? And so all of this stuff that with mom got internalized. All of the stuff with dad is how you treat others in the world and how you let them treat you, right? You just kind of see it that way. Right, and why I'm still single. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, dad, dad set the bar really high. He sounds like a good guy. Yeah, so no. I don't know about that, but I am picky. <laughs> well, maybe that's a protective mechanism. But you, you said that the thing that as a therapist that I really latched onto about what you said was is that your mom took up a lot of space. And so you got in your head like, I'm not going to be the type of person who takes up a lot of space like that, right? But that becomes a problem when you need help, when you need your tribe and when you need assistance because you almost get into the situation where like, I don't want to be a bother to other people. I don't want to trouble them the way that I was troubled by, you know, my parents' situation. So you kind of lose your voice or disqualify your voice at a time when you may need it the most uh, to save yourself and keep yourself healthy. So it's... uh, it's a really tough dynamic to deal with because what you need is the thing that you're least comfortable with because you don't want to be one of those big, blustery, narcissistic, narcissistic, selfish people who chew up all the oxygen in the room, right? But then you find yourself in the corner kind of like, you know, help, help, you know, when, when, when you need to be like, help, help me, you know what I mean? So Right, and from an interesting, like, woo-woo chakra point of view, I had this, like, inflammation feeling in my neck all the time. Like, it felt like I was, like, almost wearing, like, a a neck brace the whole time I was really sick. And like this idea of not using your voice is really interesting. And like no doctors could figure out why that symptom was there, but (laughs) it's just an interesting thing that I noticed was always there. Well, it it is interesting, right? Because you're, you're having physical maladies and losing your, not losing your voice. Like you can't speak, but you needed to be able to use your voice. And that's where you were being attacked physically. Um, I don't think that's a, and it's also about like, um, You know, I didn't really know what I was meant to do in life. I remember when I was like a teenager, I wrote out all my friends like futures and I I saw them with kids and jobs and stuff. And I was like, I'll probably be dead by like 26 because I saw no future for myself. I couldn't really picture what I was meant to do in this life. Interestingly, that I got sick at 27 because it's almost like your body's like trying to protect you with sickness because if you're in bed you're not going to go out and hurt it anymore, right? So when I talk to clients about the importance of figuring out their passions and their purpose in life, it sounds a little woo-woo, but from a nervous system point of view, it actually makes sense because there's a sense of safety in knowing your direction and knowing that you're doing kind of what you're meant to do. And I tell people with sensitive nervous systems, you kind of have to do what you love because our bodies won't allow anything else. (laughs) It's a really interesting thing. Right. Well, because before you can heal, you have to stop the bleeding. And to stop the bleeding, you have to stop the hurt, right? You have to stop the damage that's causing the bleeding first. Um, So aspirationally, it's like, well, I want to do all these great things to heal. But before you can heal, sometimes the best you can do is to just hurt less. 
And that's where we see that, like, uh, a fight, flight, or freeze mechanism. And we see that in animals, right? Like, the most hilarious example being those goats that they're running around and you clap your hands and they, like, stiffen up and they fall over dead, right? But they're not dead. They're just frozen. Yeah, and that's just to be like, I can't, I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle it. That is such a visual, visual representation of what our nervous system does sometimes. But unfortunately, our bodies keep moving. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just inside, we're shut down. And physically, we're still kind of moving through the world. Before we go on, I want to say a few words about a new behavioral health. A new behavioral health is an outpatient provider of mental health and substance abuse services in Ohio and New Hampshire. That means that a new can successfully treat mental health and substance abuse issues or dual diagnosis if you're struggling with both. Their integrated approach allows for them to successfully address issues related to anxiety, depression, addiction, trauma, and really anything that stands between your life and the life you could be living. You really cannot bring them an issue that they have not successfully treated. They have also solved one of the biggest problems for people seeking help. They have a dedicated team waiting to hear from you at helpnow at anewbh.com. If you contact them today, within 24 hours, you will have heard back from, wait for this, a real live person, and will also have your first appointment scheduled at that time. So how do you contact them? Well, if you're in Ohio or New Hampshire, you're probably close to one of their local locations. You're welcome to go in. If not, you can always reach them online at anewbh.com. And if you're interested in services for you or loved one, use that address, helpnow at anewbh.com. You had made a comment earlier um, about... Sorry to interrupt, but I saw a video the other day of a squirrel acting like it's dying because someone it caught pulled, it. It pulled oh, away. Yeah, going into freeze. Yes. yes. But this one, was, this was what amazing about this one was it was strategic because it didn't just freeze and lay there. It, you, it, like, it took its arm and it, like, it staged a scene. It like pulled a rake over top of its body and then like <laughs> laid under the rake as oh, if wow. it was staging a, a crime death scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, link that in the That's bottom. It's a hilarious. Yeah, we'll link that down below. I'll send that. Yeah, you should say, everybody, everybody, we have some amazing things to talk about. But everybody should stop right now and go to the bottom and click that link because this squirrel. Yeah. We'll actually integrate it into the podcast itself. Oh, so you'll, you'll integrate it? Oh, cool. It. So we're going to watch it on the podcast. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah, also really cool because um, not to just plug my podcast post viral, season one of our podcast. Um, every episode is animal themed because I found these interesting similarities between animals and whatever topic we'd cover. So we have episodes on different topic, whether it's diet or pacing or emotional processing um, or personality types, and they're each animal themed. So yeah, <laughs> it's it's very interesting. That is I'm very a big cool. animal fan. <laughs> And we'll, and we'll definitely link to you below, but what's it called again, just so people can search it? Post-viral podcast. Yeah. So if season one was my friend Stu and I's healing journey. And actually, when I started the podcast, I was very sick. Like, I couldn't look at screens. I was mostly bed-bound. He did all the editing and stuff like that. But it was really everything we were learning um, from an online program, CFS Health Program with Toby Morrison, uh, which is a helpful program for people with CFS. Um, but we felt like that information should really be out there. Um, in terms of like what areas of health to focus on. And that was season one. A lot of people have said they've been able to heal almost just from the podcast and the tools we give for free. And season two, I interviewed a lot of experts in different healing areas. I got Daniel Mate, Gabor Mate's son, who co-wrote his latest book. Um, of course, yeah. 
Yeah, Sharon Salzberg, who's huge in the meditation world. I got to talk to Deb Dana, who um, worked on polyvagal theory with Stephen Porges, and she created tools for people on how to use that. And uh, Nicole Sachs as well, who was a student of Dr. Sarno's. Um, we should talk about Dr. Sarno's work. <laughs> There's so much stuff we could talk about. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got to talk to her about this crazy thing. Yeah, we talked, I talked to Dr. to Nicole Sachs. She created a journaling technique, which was very helpful for me. And I recommend highly called Journal Speak. And it's a way to get out all of this repressed anger, mostly anger, but other emotions as well. And that, when I did that, I did it for a month straight every day. That's when I think I noticed most of my energy starting to return. So that's when I'd be really, really. Because you were getting the toxins. So we have all this, we carried around internal struggles, right? But if you have a way to externalize that, it's such a big help, right? Like an outlet. And people like the old analogies, like blowing off steam and things like that. Like there's something real about that, letting air out of the balloon. Because if you carry all that around, emotional baggage, you know, all those toxins that are affecting you and dragging you down, you know, your body's trying to filter all that out. And that's what will lead to some of that shutdown is like, I'm overwhelmed, I need to stop. But if you have outlets, whether it be journaling, you know, meditation, um, I think those rooms that when people go in there like with a sledgehammer and like break TVs and tables, I'm a huge fan, man. I got to tell you, it's helped a lot of people um, because people will go in there and they'll kind of exhaust themselves and then they'll get into kind of a crying session afterwards. And it's all this catharsis, all this emotional release. And then they feel light as a feather the rest of the day because they, they literally don't have to carry it around anymore. Uh, so that journaling makes a lot of sense. If it's about a person, like say my mom, let's be honest, a lot of the, a lot of the journaling comes, came back to my mom. But you don't have to get it out to them directly in order to heal. Like getting it out on paper, like using this technique, is just as freeing for your system as now I can hang out with my mom and she says things that used to trigger me. And now I tell my clients, it's like water off a duck's back. And they're like, oh my gosh, how can you have that relationship now? But I got it out. It's really interesting. I worked at a residential treatment facility for kids and one of the more powerful groups that we would do once a month, they they would write letters to their parents, all the things that you would wish that you could say, right? And then, um, you know, we would take, you know, it's up to them how much identifying information they put in there. But then they would tie them to balloons. We'd go out to this beautiful setting over a lake um, in Grapevine, Texas, and they would, like, release the balloons with the letters, right? And so there's, like, no way that letter ever got back to that parent. But, like, the physical representation of the release of all that stuff that they had dealt with with all those years um, and these were tough kids. I mean, this was, you know, out of the court system, gang members, kids who had been abused, foster kids. I mean, people have been through a lot. And it was the same thing. It was the greatest experience that we always knew the week after the releasing ceremony was going to be a great week at the facility because everybody felt awesome. They had let it go. And, they, and sometimes you could see them kind of feel that and just sort of look to the sky like, nope, I... I put it all it's out gone there. Now. It, it's gone. It's gone. I don't have to think. I don't have to carry that around because that's kind of what a resentment is, right? Is like you drink poison and wait for somebody else to die, and that's that. You know, I'll show you. I'll hurt me, right? And then it just doesn't work. Uh, and so it's really about the other person. And so it's great to have that kind of freedom. And it builds up into like personality characteristics. I don't know if you're familiar um, with Richard Schwartz work with IFS internal family systems and parts work, this idea that we have a core self, a true self that's 
compassionate and creative and caring and stuff. But all these parts have loaded on over the years, like the perfectionist part, the defensive part. They're all parts that have come upon us over the years. And there is actually ways, I love his book, No Bad Parts, if people are interested, that he does a therapy way that you can talk to the parts and ask them what they need and what role they'd like to be playing and actually make huge changes. It's quite incredible, his work. Another externalization. It's not you, it's a part, right? Go talk to the part. Talked about you know, the struggles and what you went through and how long it took to kind of find your way towards healing. I mean, even when you started your podcast, you were still sick. And you made a comment early on about the frustration you had dealing with the healthcare system around your issues. And I want to talk about that a little bit. And I hope you'll, you'll share a little bit of that experience because, you know, if there are people listening, the first thing they're going to do when they realize, hey, I need help, is they're going to reach out to some part of the healthcare system. Right. And so I've worked in healthcare for 20 years. I know that the good and the bad and the ugly. And um, I think there's probably more bad and ugly than there is good sometimes. But I'm just curious if you can share your experience, you know, how that was frustrating to you. And then maybe give us a little insight into what you actually did to finally get on track and find your way to a place of healing that actually worked for you. It's interesting, the healthcare system stuff, because my master's is in public health. It's like, very, of course, my first reaction was to go to doctors, trust doctors. I saw many kinds of doctors, internalists, uh, internal medicine doctors, rheumatologists, neurologists, and everybody gives you these answers of, well, I don't know, the blood tests look good, you look fine. And it's so frustrating. I remember one, one family doctor said to me, I always thought of chronic fatigue as a kind of depression, and just gave me antidepressants. And it's so confusing because you're like, I'm depressed because I'm sick all the time, but I'm not depressed. I'm just sick all the time. So it's really confusing. And then I, it, it, over time, I finally started going to things like naturopaths. And they would say things like, well, you got, well my one naturopath said, you're going to have to quit your job. And I was like, what? Why would I quit my job? You know? And I think it, there's just so much we're getting little pieces from everywhere, but there's not like, you're not getting a holistic view of healing. And there's so much missing in the healthcare system in terms of understanding a person as a whole, if that makes sense. And just trying to address little parts of it. Yeah, they're trying to address you from little parts, but like, especially the system sensitivity disorders, it's a whole issue. And it was a lot of, lot of frustration, I, I can tell you. And I, I, I had better experiences than a lot of people because I had a master's degree. I feel like they respected me a little bit more, whereas some people are made to feel crazy. Like some people really get um, gaslit, essentially, from healthcare professionals in ways that are really, really damaging. And then they end up having this trauma where they don't want to go to healthcare professionals at all because they don't want to feel that way again. So it can be a really dangerous thing. So more mind-body understanding in the healthcare system just feels so vital to me. And then I'll talk about now the four areas of health that I concentrate on, and this is what helped me. And that's how I I figured out when um, my friend and I ended up writing a programs guide about all these online programs that are out there that we separated them into four areas. So one is lifestyle and pacing. So lifestyle, 
we have to be good to our bodies when we're sick. <laughs> Diet is important, <laughs> you know, um, that how we sleep is important. Sleep schedule, huge amount of science around how important, you know, not looking at your phone the last hour before bed can be. And these little sleep schedule activities for consistency in order to get good sleep is so important. And anything you can do really to help you sleep well is really, really helpful to health, honestly. Um, so sleep pacing for CFS, particularly chronic fatigue syndrome, long COVID is very important because it's a cellular disease. You can't just go from zero to a hundred, you know, you have to work up very slowly. Some illnesses you can get away with going up faster, but because of the way the illness is, pacing is a really important piece. So there's that aspect. The next aspect that I learned about was what we call in the chronic fatigue community, brain retraining. You'll see these brain retraining programs out there that are essentially neuro-linguistic programming or using neuroplasticity to try and change your physical health by changing how you think. And some people really hate that because they're like, it's not a mental health disorder. It's a physical health disorder. But changing the way you think <laughs> is incredibly powerful to your physical health. And these programs kind of teach you a script to say to yourself, and they teach you how to visualize yourself better. If you're visualizing yourself healthy, your, your brain doesn't know the difference between reality and a visualization. There have been many studies where they've shown people like visualizing doing sit-ups and gaining muscle to almost the same capacity of people who are actually doing sit-up. There it is, Ian. I got, I got my angle. There it is. I'm going to have abs. This is going to be great. <laughs> I do it sometimes. It. I do it sometimes. <laughs> Just visualize it. Yeah, it's That's really right. fascinating. Because no. neuroplasticity is about the pathways that we're using in our brain. And that has to do with chemicals, which has to do with physical health as well, not just mental health. Even though it's mental exercises, it involves self-compassion, having understanding for yourself and thanking your body for trying to protect you, but saying, I'm actually okay now. Instead, I choose to feel confident and healthy and vital and then visualizing yourself that way. And if you do that every day, a lot of people see incredible, incredible progress. The third area is somatic body work. So whereas brain retraining is a top-down strategy, somatic body work is bottom up. So this includes things like polyvagal activities. You might've heard of vagus nerve stimulating activities like um, cold water therapy. That's a popular one, especially for like a lot of people love that one. Breath work is having a moment right now. I don't think anybody loves that one. That cold, that cold tub. I, cold I mean, I've done I that know. a couple I times. I mean, it. if you want to feel like you're dying, you go right ahead. It's crazy. Yeah, I always tell people you have to find things you enjoy doing. So I don't know. <laughs> that one never stuck with me. But, <laughs> but like breath work, meditation, all these things that get you more in your body. Because a lot of us get a little bit too in our heads. And I think it's really important to get more into our body and understanding how the nervous system works with polyvagal theory is really, really good. And then the fourth area is the self-discovery work. So that includes trauma work, as we've been talking about, figuring out your purpose, like what you're meant to do, your core values 
And are you living your life by your core values? And how can you live your life more by those values? Because I always tell people, don't wait till perfect to live your life. You got to start now. No, no matter how sick you are, there's little things you can be doing to start living by those core values. So yeah, lots of areas. Those are the areas that helped me. I needed all four. On that purpose, that last one, the self-discovery work and finding out who you are and working towards your purpose. That's that whole concept of like uh, the person who has um, a why, right, can deal with any how, right? So even if you're in the midst of that struggle, if you have this like big purpose or it's in service to a, a goal, I mean, that's how we get volunteer work, right? On a logical level, we should never have any volunteers, but because it's affirming and it feeds people in terms of their purpose, we have millions of volunteers who really make the world go round and do a lot of amazing work day in and day out. So I think of all the things you talked about, yes, sleep is crazy important, uh, you know, managing your body and those symptoms of somatic work. But I think landing on that purpose is I don't, I don't know if you can do the rest of it without that. Right. I don't know if it'll if it'll stick uh, because the purpose is the engine that kind of drives this when you don't feel like it, right? Like, I don't want to do this, but I do it anyway. It's because of your purpose most times. Yeah, it's interesting. I I have some clients that are like, I know what I want to do. I know how I do it. I'm just so sick. I can't do it. And then I know that it's one of the other pieces that they need to focus on. So that's why it's so interesting to figure out which of the pieces people are missing that's keeping them sick. But it's definitely a big piece. And I love that from a holistic framework, because like you said, just because they have one of them, it checks the box, but it's not clicking in the other ways. You can start focusing your work in that other way. You know what I mean? And honestly, a lot of what you're talking about with the mental stuff, the top down is really indistinguishable from like cognitive behavioral therapy, because we look at those cognitive distortions, right? How are you thinking about the world in ways that are becoming problematic for you? And how can we put a script in place that, you know, eliminates that cognitive distortion and frees you to be your authentic self? Um, so pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty it's amazing. true. It is very similar. It's people taking from different areas and making something that works. So as you can see, Lindsay is one of those special healers who is actually talking the talk, but also walking the walk. Uh, she gave us some great advice there uh, regarding you know the four main areas that she works on. Uh, to enhance her lifestyle, uh, to work on her mindset, to do her body work, uh, and to be present every single day. I am so appreciative. Thank you, Lindsay. I think that that's the most important question for this podcast, which is, okay, we have the background, we have your experience, we know what the science says, uh, but what do you actually do day in and day out uh, to apply these principles? And so um, even after 20 years in the field, I learned a lot from Lindsay's four tips um, I'm going to be applying some of these as well. Uh, I was joking with producer Ian about my main scrunch zone being right here in between my eyes. So as a wrap up, I just want to thank Lindsay again. Lindsay does an amazing job. All of her contacts are down below. Um, obviously an amazing story going from complete isolation, uh, chronic fatigue, and just being really debilitated mind, body, and spirit uh, to being this healthy, happy, uh, productive healer that she is today. So Lindsay's quite an inspiration and it was wonderful to work with her and talk with her, and I look forward to having her back on on a future show. Uh, for you guys at home, as always, you know, I say this every time, time is your most valuable asset, and I really think and hope that the time you spent with us today uh, was beneficial to you. I learned a lot. I hope you can apply some of Lindsay's principles. Uh, chronic fatigue is no joke. Um, you know, minimal chronic fatigue, you know, daily fatigue, uh, fatigue at all in any form or function 
is not okay and is not a healthy situation for your body. One of the things we talk about is this phrase halt, right? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And if you're feeling hungry or angry or lonely or tired or any version of, you have to recognize that your body is in a depleted state. You shouldn't be making big decisions. Uh, it's like the warning label. Please do not operate. Ho- do, please do not operate heavy machinery um, under halt. It means you've got to stop. Uh, you've got to refresh. You've got to renew, uh, and you've got to reboot and get yourself to a place uh, where you are healthy and are at your capacity and can make those kind of choices for yourself. Lindsay's done that. You can do that as well. And I hope you take inspiration from that. I certainly do myself. Um, as always, when I close, I give a shout out to our sponsors, A New Behavioral Health. Um, If you're in Ohio or New Hampshire and you're feeling any of those symptoms, any of those things that Lindsay's talked about, uh, please reach out to Anew at anewbh.com. They have psychiatrists, they have nurses, they have therapists, case managers. They can work with you in those four core areas and get you back on track. They can be the difference uh, that makes a difference. Um, If you're not in those states, uh, reach out to Lindsay. Use her contact information. She's a wonderful guide, full of wisdom. I'm sure she'd be happy to help. Um, Until next time, I want to tell you that I appreciate you. Um, I I care that you're here. It makes a difference. And I hope the time we spend on this makes a difference in your life as well. So until next time, uh, take care of yourself uh, and take care of each other. Thanks so much. Hey, guys. Although Through Help and Back is an excellent podcast with a lot of great ideas, I do want to let you know that in no way is Through Help and Back expected to be perceived as or relied upon in any way as specific medical advice or mental health advice for you personally. The information provided through through Help and Back on our website or our podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment that can be provided by your own providers. Do not use our content in lieu of professional advice given by qualified medical professionals and do not disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking professional advice because of the information you have read on our website, heard on our podcast, or otherwise received from us. Although we love discussing issues related to healthcare, mental health, and addiction, we are not providing direct healthcare, mental health care, medical, or nutrition therapy services. We're not attempting to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure in any manner whatsoever any physical or psychological ailment, any mental or emotional issue, disease, or condition. We are not giving you specific medical, psychological, or religious advice whatsoever. Please take care of yourself and take care of others as you always seek the advice of your own medical providers and your own mental health providers regarding any questions or concerns you have about your specific health or before implementing any recommendations or suggestions from us. These are ideas that have worked for other people. We think it's important to share them. We do not guarantee that they will work for you specifically. Do not stop taking any medications without speaking to your physician nurse practitioner, physician assistant, mental health provider, or any other healthcare or medical professional. And if you have or suspect that you have a medical or mental health issue, contact your own healthcare provider promptly. Also, one last thing, if you know or suspect that you are currently experiencing a crisis, it is absolutely imperative that you seek the advice of your doctor or other emergency healthcare services prior to ever thinking about using our content. We love the conversations. We're glad you're stopping by. We hope you take a lot from the content. But again, for your specific individual medical situation, please always seek quality personal care from your own providers. Do not let this uh, information or this advice stand on its own. Thanks so much for listening.